Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking into wide open. Touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson. And it goes to Corey Davis. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore. The 20, the 10, the 5. Touchdown! Jones is just caught flat-footed. What an excellent, excellent round. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And we're going to try and get to know Drake London, the USC wide receiver, a little bit better. We're going to take a look at his film a little later on with the thunder from down under Luke Grant. But first... I wanted to talk about the stuff that you may not see on the video on the All-22, which is up on our YouTube channel right now, by the way. You should go and watch a video if you haven't already and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. So, brought back our friend who's been on the show a couple times. He helped us break down Elijah Vera Tucker after the Jets drafted him. And also talked to us about Brandon Staley when the Jets were considering hiring him as the head coach. Of course, Staley now the head coach of the Chargers. He covers all L.A. football teams, which is a huge task for the L.A football network mr ryan dirude ryan thanks so much for coming back on the show sir scott what's up man thanks for having me i've said it before you do a great job so uh excited to be back on and, and talking some sc football absolutely really excited to talk to you about it because drake london is an interesting prospect a two-sport athlete which we'll get to in a second because drake london in high school played both football and basketball as a senior on the football team he had 62 catches for 1089 yards and 12 touchdowns in basketball he was averaging 29.2 points 11.9 rebounds and 3.8 assists per game so this is a guy that was big time in both sports he's a california kid so he ends up committing to usc to play 
both basketball and football, which doesn't happen a lot with a guy of that caliber. Usually when you're really good at a sport like that, when you end up committing, you have to pick one or the other, but London was able to do both. What do you remember about the recruiting process with him and how he wound up at USC? Yeah, I mean, he was a, obviously, like you just mentioned, the, the dual sport athlete being from Moore Park, so kind of a local kid. Uh, and, you know, USC's has so much rich history of, of their receivers and it, what they've been able to not just recruit, but develop and, and then guys that go on and have pretty soft. I mean, there's been some that haven't totally lived up to the hype, but overall, I think they've, they've put a lot of good wide receiver prospects in the NFL. So I think that was one of the big draws for Drake after, you know, being recruited heavily by a lot of schools, but USC being, you know, close to home, the history they have there and, and just kind of, you know, what the ability he could, you know, develop an NFL prospect, but then also the ability they let him play basketball too. Cause I'm sure, I mean, I don't know the deep dive of all the schools offers and whatnot, but I'm sure a lot of schools are like, Hey, we're recruiting for football. You're, you're playing football. Like we, we're not risking injury. And I think the fact that USC allowed him to play both probably teetered in his decision-making as well. Um, as he did play basketball for USC, which was, which was kind of cool. Didn't play this past season. Um, but you know, it, it was a, um, Good, re- good receiver class that he was joining with Michael Pittman Jr., Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vons, um, a bunch of other, you know, highly touted prospects were coming in with him. And just right after him, too, he's, you know, you have Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford, guys that were in the class right after him. So, um, and he, I mean, we'll get into it, Scott, but of all the guys watching him for three years, like the talent he had and has, obviously, now going into the NFL, but it just exuded far and away, in my opinion, than what was even there. And the talented guys that are now in the NFL. And I think that's why I'm so excited and so bullish on Drake London because of watching him with those other players, how he was just a different breed in my opinion. He's like, why it gets me so excited to kind of talk about him and, and hopeful for his future that he gets somewhere where he can really shine and, and be that true number one receiver. So, but recruiting wise, I think a lot played into it with the fact that he could play both sports, the history of USC being close to home and, uh, and then now, you know, going on and, and being, an NFL player. And he was, I was at the spring game yesterday, Scott, and he was there, made a guest appearance on the Jumbotron, hanging out at the Coliseum. So obviously he loves uh, LA and SC too. Reminds you a little bit of Tony Gonzalez in the sense that when Tony Gonzalez went to Cal, he played basketball and football, but Tony Gonzalez played both sports all the way through. Drake London, as you said, Mm -hmm. stopped playing basketball at some point. Was it just that he wanted to focus on football because he realized that was going to be his meal ticket? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, as good of a basketball player as he was, and you mentioned, you know, averaging 29 a game in high school, um, wasn't really able to crack too much time at SC. Uh, I think in reality, he only played like a a handful of games. Um, And obviously as a freshman receiver, he already, you know, in a short, in a, you know, less playing time with those receivers already mentioned, cracked 600 yards receiving. So I think he realized where his future was and it was time to kind of just commit to one. So I'm assuming that was more so it just the lack of playing time in basketball and being able to really just hone in on football and making, you know, the NFL his dream. Ryan, I want to dig in a little bit more on what you said about watching him up close for three years. Tell me a little bit more about that experience. And then you said you think he'd be a perfect fit for the Jets. Why is that? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a guy that, and we kind of talked a little off air and I've heard this a lot too, that, you know, he can do everything well, but is there one thing he's great at? Like, you know, you have the the Jamison Williams, who's just a burner and can do it all. You know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, similar in that regard, and then the speed and the route running. 
And, you know, Drake London doesn't necessarily have that elite speed, if you will. But in my opinion, he has that elite size and strength. And that's what he does great. And watching him up close at every game and how he was able to just take over games. I mean, there was, we can go back to his freshman year, but there were times this year, Scott, when the offense was literally Drake London. I mean, the defense knew exactly what USC was going to do. Keaton Slovis had basically fallen off a mountain from, you know, where he was his freshman year to now being his junior year. And even had Jackson Dart sprinkled in their time as well. The running game couldn't get anything going. Um, they were hurt elsewhere at the receiving core and really no one else stepped up. You knew Drake London was getting the ball and he still got it 14, 15 times a game with triple coverage and was able just to out muscle you know, the defenders that were on him. So to me, that's his elite trait is that size and strength, which is something you can't teach. And I think he's a very good route runner. I think he has elusive speed. I mean, I think he ran in the four, the, like the high four fours, low four fives. Um, previously, obviously he didn't run at the combine or his pro day, but I think he has, you know, more elusive speed than people give him credit for, but that size and strength is really what separates him. And, you know, when I, I've seen people compare him to like a Mike Evans, or, you know, other big bodied receivers out there. To me, I don't see that. To me, I see, if you remember, Brandon Marshall back in the day, came out of UCF, drafted by, uh, you know, the Broncos, played for the Dolphins and elsewhere. Just a guy that when he got the ball in his hands, he was electric. And if he could have had better quarterback play throughout his career, I think Brandon Marshall could have been one of those top five receivers in the game year in and year out if he had that top quarterback play. And, it, you know, we talked a little bit off air too, the receivers – the position that requires so much out of someone else to be great. Like if you go through the annals of history, look at the top 25 receivers of all time. You'd be hard pressed to find many that had poor quarterback play. You'd probably look at Randy Moss, maybe who had, you know, the Dalton Culpepper and Randy Randall Cunningham's, but I mean, you look at Jerry Rice, you know, Joe Montana and Steve Young throwing the ball. So it's, it's very hinged on who you have thrown in it. Well, Drake London didn't have good quarterback play at USC for his time and still put up crazy numbers, you know, over 88 catches, over a thousand yards and just eight games before he got injured. So I think just watching him in that regard, I think was what was so special to me. And to answer your second part, as I'm getting long winded here, why I think he's a good fit for the Jets is because, as I mentioned, at USC, when the offense had one option and the defense knew they had one option and they still couldn't stop it. What better option do you want for a young quarterback like Zach Wilson? You want a receiver that cannot be stopped. Not just a guy that has speed, not just a guy that can run great routes, but a guy that can overpower and overwill defenders and be that safe play for your young quarterback that says, I know wherever Drake's on the field, he's going to go up and get it for me. So that's why I think it's a good fit for the Jets as opposed not a, nothing against the other five quarterback or four receivers. I just think London's the perfect fit in that regard. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. 
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. You talked about the USC offense. The Jets offense is very much predicated on what the 49ers offense is, which is good route running and being able to make plays with the ball in your hands after the catch. Is that something that you think Drake London would be a good fit for? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I think he's a better route runner than given credit for. Um, he can really run all the routes on the trees. The true X receiver, right? Your true outside guy, but he can really run all those routes. But what he was able to do with the ball after, I mean, there was, a, there was many instances in the SC offense where it'd be a, you know, a short little bubble screen or a you know, little giving go or a little two yard uh, um, uh, like corner route or slant route. And, you know, he's able to turn that into, you know, 20, 25 plus yards breaking tackles. Uh, if you watch back at some of the UCLA film over the years, I mean, there was multiple plays where he's going up and getting over the middle and then breaking five or six tackles in route to the end zone. So um, I think the apps, the, the fact of that Niners Shanahan, Mike McDaniel offense, I think totally fits his skill set in the sense that, just get the ball in his hands and he can make, you know, yak happen afterward. I think he was, he was tops in the pack 12 in yak before injury yards after catch. That is, um, I can't remember his exact ranking among all receivers, but it was up there in, in regards to how many games and how many receptions he had. It wasn't like total yards, obviously, because he had a shortened season. Um, but certainly can make things happen with the ball after, you know, after he catches it. How would you compare him to Michael Pittman Jr.? I think it's a natural comparison since they're similar in size and obviously they played in the same offense. Yeah, I think there's some similarities. Uh, Drake London's much more physical, for sure. Um, I think Pittman's more of a finesse receiver, even though he's that big-bodied guy. Um, you know, he's, he's your kind of more fluid and, you know, rotates his hips a little better. But I think London's just, you're more physical. I mean, literally, I just, I just think of Brandon Marshall just because of how physical he is once he has the football and once he runs through routes and runs through defenders and runs off press coverage. So I think there's some similarities, you know, great hands. Both of them have the size, but I would call Pittman more of that, that fluid finesse type receiver in my opinion. And London's the much more, much more physical, powerful receiver. What's Drake London like personality wise? You know, he's, he's a fun young kid, super humble, great team guy. We had him, uh, Frosty Rucker, former Trojan does a show with us. And he had Drake London on, I think it was, wasn't this past season. It was during the COVID 2020 season, had him on a show and uh, it's, you know, like a 15, 20 minute interview and just, you know, he's a super lighthearted, humble kid. Uh, I think he's going to do really well at the next level because he doesn't have that, that wide receiver ego that a lot of guys have, which, you know, some could argue you need that as a wide receiver in the NFL. I, I would argue you don't necessarily need that. And he, I don't think he has that at all. He's much more of a grinder, put it in the work. 
um, similar to like, a, you know, a Demarius Thomas that was very just quiet, just let his actions speak for themselves. So, um, yeah, I, I, it'd be curious to see how he deals with the the uh, lights of New York and the media out there. But, you know, coming from USC and the L.A. media is no cakewalk either. So I think he'd fit OK there. But, yeah, just a very humble, good kid. It's a, a team guy. He's not your prototypical, um, you know, hot headed receiver, which I think is refreshing. Ryan, what can you tell me about Drake London's relationship with his coaches and teammates? Oh, beloved. I mean, team leader, coaches loved him. Um, obviously played in the Clay Helton era. Didn't get a chance to play for this now Lincoln Riley era out here. Um, but, you know, no one could speak any ill towards him. Um, his receivers all loved him. Coaches all spoke very highly. The work ethic, uh, you know, the fact, like we mentioned early in his career, playing both basketball and football, you know, got those same remarks from both coaching staff, at, both coaching staffs, that is. And yeah, and just a guy that, you know, quarterbacks, Keaton Silva specifically would say like, I, you know, I knew when we needed something, I knew I could count on it. So very reliable and uh, just showed up every day to, to work. And yeah, I, I just think he's a guy that um, was beloved by teammates and coaches and, and will be beloved at the next level too. And I mean, we've seen it from the, the crop that came out in the same kind of era of receivers and Michael Pittman Jr. and what he's doing with Indianapolis now truly becoming their wide receiver one and what the coaches say about him, what his multiple quarterbacks have said about him. Amon Ross St. Brown, very similar, like goes and has a fourth round pick to Detroit and, you know, finishes what top five among rookie receivers has a really good year with a rebuilding Detroit team. And Drake London is the best of that bunch, but personality wise just has that same mentality, that same team first mentality that coaches and players just kind of gravitate to. You covered Drake London's Pro Day at USC recently. What do you think of the Pro Day? And also, as far as the foot injury goes, is he completely healed? Anything to worry about there that might be lingering? Pro Day was fine. I mean, it was pretty, you know, simple Pro Day. Didn't go through, went through most of the drills. Didn't run, you know, the 40, anything like that. I know his, he said his ankle's fully good to go, fully healthy. He could have ran if he wanted to. Um, I'm sure it was people in his camp saying, you know, there's no need to do all you're going to do is hurt your draft stock if something goes wrong. So you might as well just, you're going to be a top 20 pick regardless. Let's just leave it as it is. Um, but yeah, as far as I've heard and been told, he's, he's fully healthy, good to go. Um, will be available for whatever team picks him day one. Um, but the, yeah, the pro day itself was, you know, more of a theatrical thing, if you will, ran through some, some drills and stuff like that looked good. I mean, looked totally strong and poised and, and ready to rock and roll look like Drake London, which is what you want to see. So luckily with his injury, you know, being a, a bone injury and not a, you know, tear or anything that had structural damage, I, I don't think there's a ton of concern because it was just a, a clean, you know, fracture of the bone that, you know, once it heals up, it's good to go. So I think that you never want to see a kid injured, but at least it was that and not like an ACL tear or, you know, meniscus or something tendon down in the Achilles or anything like that. So, um, yeah, should be good to go. Ready, ready for training camp and excited to see him play. Do you have any specific favorite memories of Drake London at USC? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, a few. So... Let me see if I get my dates correct. Um, but two, so two memories against UCLA. I could probably think of a lot more, but I'll, I'll throw these two out there. In 2019, so it was his rookie, or not rookie, but freshman year. And, you know, he was technically probably wide receiver for that year. I mean, you had Michael Pittman Jr. was your one. Alan Ra was your two. Tyler Vaughn was probably your three. And, and you know, Drake Lund was probably your four and all those guys would even say that year he was the most talented, but going up against UCLA that year, uh, that was the year USC put up 50, I believe. Um, and Drake London himself had like over a hundred and I think two touchdowns. And there was one specific play caught like a 25 yard, you know, deep crosser over the middle. 
and then ended up breaking like six tackles in route to a touchdown. It was just a real display of what we kind of saw a little bit throughout the year in limited play time, just because of all the stack receivers ahead of him. And you see it on full display against your crosstown rival in a uh, call in the Coliseum. And uh, it just put it on display, which was fun to watch. So that was one really cool memory that I was there in person for and saw. And then in 2020 in the COVID season at the Rose bowl against UCLA also had a very, very solid game. And if you, I don't know how many of your listeners have watched that game or knew about it, but UCLA jumped out to like a 20 point lead. I believe it was a pretty extensive lead. UCLA was looking really good DTR and, and those guys up there were, were looking great. And then USC and Drake London came kind of firing back and ended up winning that game on like a walk-off field goal after a um, kick return. So uh, watching him that game and he had a really solid performance again um, and helped in that comeback was just uh, you know one of those special things to watch. Then last night I just thought of Scott that same season against Arizona State, first game of the year, and they're down two touchdowns with like four minutes left. And one of the touchdowns he scored across the middle in the end zone in about triple coverage with a small window is about as good as a touchdown catch that you will see without it being like a one-handed acrobat catch. And uh, and that's what you know led to end up beating ASU by one point that game. So a lot of great memories, but those are a few that I can think of off the top of my head. Ryan, Drake London is a California kid, as you said. He was born and raised in California, went to school in California, then went to USC. He's never strayed far from home. Now, if he were to go to New York, it'd be all the way across the country. As you and I were joking before we started recording, there's some bad weather here that he wouldn't have encountered in California. Very different culture as well. The media is a little bit different. I wanted to know what you think about the possibility of Drake London here in New York. Would it be a good fit for him? And do you think it would be a good fit for the Jets? Because the Jets are looking to build a culture here. They want players that really want to be here, that are all in on football, that are positive in the locker room. What do you think? Drake London, New York Jets. Is it a good fit for both sides? You know, I think it would be, but it, it's always hard to say because, you know, we saw what happened to Sam Darnold, right? Same thing. California kid, Cali cool goes out there and kind of just got eaten alive and, and obviously isn't there anymore. And there was probably other reasons for that. And you can, I'm sure you would, you know, get into the head coach that was there at the time, but we don't have to right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so it, you look at that instance, like, okay, well, Drake London's a very similar kind of mindset, just very easygoing, but, you know, he's obviously a hard worker, but he's not. Um, you know, he's a calm, cool guy. Um, I think in today's day and age, you know, now being a few years removed from that. And, and I think with the new coaching staff you have in place, I do think he'd be a fit um, just because of how hard of a worker he is, how talented he is and not being a quarterback. I mean, it's a little different when if you're cool, calm as a quarterback. Well, I guess you guys had Mark Sanchez, too. I forgot you guys have a lot of USC pedigree there. Um, and then Elijah Vera Tucker, too. So still so all similar kind of personalities. So I to answer your question. I think he'd be fine. Um, he's just that good, that hard of a worker. And that culture you're talking about that they're trying to build there, I think he would fit in well with and be able to lead. I mean, he was a leader on the USC team basically from his freshman year. And so he could go in there at a young age and, and really, I think, transform that receiving group. And, and ideally, what you want to do as the Jets is build around Zach Wilson. And if you think he is the future, which I'm assuming they do only being one year in, and what you need to give him is, is strong weapons that he can rely on and i think that's exactly what drake london is and he would get embraced out there and and be someone that could um you know do very well for them so i think he would be a fit ryan you forgot one other very big usc player that the jets had and it was at the same position as drake london Keyshawn johnson yeah number one overall pick 
I'd rather talk about Keyshawn Johnson than Adam Gase. So if you're going to bring up people from the past, please bring up Keyshawn Johnson. I'm glad that you referred to him actually as the ex-coach rather than giving us all PTSD. Ryan Dyrud from the LA Football Network, thank you so much for coming on and giving us some insight on Drake London. Really appreciate it. For those that want to check out your work, follow you on social media. How can they do that? Yeah, Scott, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Dyrud, LAFB. Our network is, like he mentioned, the LA Football Network. It's just lafbnetwork.com. You can find all of our 12 podcasts, all of our articles and videos and stuff there. So make sure to check it out. I'll be I'll be in Vegas next week for the draft, Scott. So hopefully can give you a little insight if uh, whenever the Jets pick comes in. Uh, that's awesome, Ryan. Have a safe trip to Vegas. Hope you have a lot of fun. Really enjoyed talking to you about Drake London. And now I want to delve into Drake London's film with the man who does that for us over on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel, The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant. Luke, what's going on, brother? I'm doing pretty well, Scott. Uh, we're getting really close to this draft. Talking wide receivers, it's been a pain point for me all offseason with the New York Jets and Joe Douglas. So let's see how this goes. Indeed, indeed. We don't know who the Jets are going to pick at wide receiver. We don't know where they're going to pick a wide receiver in the draft, but we're all pretty confident they're going to address the receiver position at some point. So London, of course, has been talked about quite a bit. 6'4", 215, 220, depending on who you ask. Big body guy. Some people will say he's a contested catch guy, but he's more than a contested catch guy. And I want to start with his route running, which, Luke, you've said is, quote, super underrated. Explain that for me. Yeah, I think you see a guy with Drake London's physique and you see him go up and get the football and you automatically think of guys like, and this is what people have been saying, Mike Evans, Brandon Marshall, those type of big body receivers. If you look at his frame, though, he's actually not that heavily put together. And he has pretty good movement skills for a guy as tall as he is. And he's pretty leggy. I mean, I watched games against Arizona and a ton of others. I watched probably four or five all 22 games of Drake London to put together the review. And some of the nuanced route running that I saw from him just really blew me away. There was a rep on a slant where he gets free from a great release and then breaks to the inside in the red zone, a tough place to get open, and he gets five yards of separation. There's just a subtlety to the way he moves, and nothing is twitchy. When we get into the negatives, that's going to be the biggest one that you'll hear me talk about. Nothing is particularly quick and takes your breath away watching him, but he's very detailed, and he's very... um, I guess regimented in his movement skills and he always has a plan and he knows how he's going to set up the corner. And I liked that. And he got open a lot. And yes, it's the Pac-12 and Pac-12 defenses stink. Let's be honest. Outside of some good edge rushes, no one really ever comes out defensively other than Washington when they had a good defense for a couple of seasons. But realistically, it's been a disappointing division defensively. It's an easy place to play wide receiver, but I'm not going to hold that against him. I thought he moved well. He showed a propensity to get open early in the routes and to create more separation than the general narrative is around Drake London. So overall, do I think it's going to be something that he can win with consistently in the NFL? No, I don't think he's going to be looked at as, you know, someone said to me the other day, Mike Thomas, maybe that's a good rep. I don't see him as that kind of route runner. I just think it's better than what people think and that it needs to be kind of noticed that he's not just a contested catch monster. There's more nuance to his game than that. And he's a much better yak guy than most people realize, too. I'm not going to sit here and say that Drake London is Tyreek Hill or anything crazy like that. 
but it's a very underrated part of his game, just like you said with the route running. I think people just see this big body guy and think big possession receiver, but he can get some yards after the catch. He can. I mean, if you look at the statistics, I think I think this is correct. He broke the most tackles after the catch in the whole of college football in the time he was on the field last year. And you look at that and go, this guy is serious after the catch. And look, there's some truth to it. There is definitely, as I said, a nice ability to change direction for a guy his size. But here's the thing, and here's why statistics can lie sometimes. He had four screens per game on average in 2021, the most of anyone in college football. Screens are the easiest way to break tackles. You're getting defenders moving east-west laterally at full speed across the field, and any change of direction in the Pac-12 is effectively going to lead to a missed tackle. Now, because of those inflated numbers and because of how the USC offense was operating through Drake London and through the screen game and the quick passing game, those numbers automatically got inflated. He has some skills and he's going to break tackles with strength and with hip strength and the ability to bust tackles as much as make people miss in the NFL. But I always felt like, you know, when you're watching a GIF and everything's just a little bit slowed down, it's not like watching a video, you don't get the same quality. It's a little bit slower and almost animated in some respects. That's kind of what I felt like watching Drake London after the catch. It just kind of felt just a touch slow and it was working, but you could see him thinking about what he was doing and then executing it rather than almost being simultaneous and a blur like a guy like Jamison Williams. So I think I've been a bit negative on him there. I'll always push back a little bit on the yards after catch, but he's definitely not this guy who's going to catch the football and get tackled and let's snap the ball again. He has more to him than that. And that's 100% correct. I just don't want people to get overly carried away in the opposite direction either. So he's probably somewhere in the middle, a little bit towards the lower spectrum of average, but Overall, I think he's definitely got a little bit of wiggle and shake, especially when you've got to consider he's six foot four and two fifteen. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice little string to add to his bow. It's just again not something to hang your hat on. Given his frame, some people might be surprised at the quality of his yak ability and his route running, but they definitely would not be surprised by his physicality and his ability to block. No, I mean if you go and watch a perfect example, the Colorado game. You want to see a guy who can go up and get the football and make contested catches. I think there was a drive where he had three contested above the catch, sorry, above the rim catches, and all of them just left you going, man, that is one heck of a catch. Some of them over the middle of the field, some of them on deep balls. He just, he's very versatile with his ability to catch the football, and it's the biggest strength of his game. And that, in some ways, is also a negative because in the NFL, you want separation. The game's moved away from contested catches. Contested catches just mean you're not getting open. I get it. But at the same time, we've also seen guys make a living off that too and be Hall of Fame-type receivers. So I think it's a little bit of a, a, a positive and a negative. It's a double-edged sword for sure. But he is, he is truly elite in that area. And that's why my comp for him is always going to be someone more like a Michael Pittman, who was fantastic in the air at USC. It's not just helmet scouting. I think there's a lot of similarities to their games. And then also a guy like Mike Williams. I know that's one you've been banging on, Scott, and I think it's a really good one. Mike Williams at Clemson, but also what he's shown in the NFL. Very good deep, not because of speed, but because he's great above the rim. He's a chain mover too. He can make those contested catches on the boundary. So I think that's what you can expect for him. And he can be a bit of a monster in that aspect of the game. There's no surprises there, as you said. And then the blocking, he's an excellent blocker. We talked about Jamison Williams the other day. 
He is a significantly better blocker than Jamison Williams, and it's going to be no surprise. He's three inches taller, and he's got about 30 pounds on him as well. Uh, the efforts there, the one-two, which is the biggest thing with blocking for a wide receiver. Uh, he's good in space. He's excellent uh, at latching on and then driving a defensive back out of the picture, creating lanes. Uh, so I think when you when you combine the attitude and then the physical attributes, it just allows him to be a natural blocker. So those are two areas he can definitely shine in the NFL, and they're going to be important. I just don't know if they're important enough to make him a top 15 draft pick for that kind of skill and what he brings to an offense in 2022. One other thing that Drake London brings to an offense is really good hands. Now, he doesn't have elite hands like Elijah Moore, but as you said, he can go up and get it, and he doesn't have a lot of drops on his resume. He does not. He has fantastic hands. Different to a guy like Elijah Moore, because Elijah is so good at running through the catch, and uh, his hands are trusted in that way. We talked about London. He's great above the rim. But when you have the volume that came through Drake London in that USC offense and you look at the catch numbers compared to the drops, it's elite. And I mean, that's something that usually converts really well to the NFL. If you have a drop percentage under 6 7%, you're going to be a reliable hands catcher in the NFL and it's going to translate. So there's going to be no concerns about throwing the football in Drake London's way, or in, in his direction, sorry. Excuse me. And also, I think you have to consider there are times in the NFL when guys just don't get open and the play doesn't work. And the safest guy to throw the football to is the guy who's six foot four, two fifteen, and is three inches and plus a wingspan taller than the corner defending him. And he can make a contested catch. And sometimes that is very, very difficult to defend in the NFL. So that's going to come in handy. And those skills we just talked about, they come in handy on busted plays. Busted and broken plays aren't just scrambling around trying to do a quarterback drill and find space and help your quarterback and, you know, manipulate your way through a defense. Sometimes it's throwing it up there and knowing that guy's going to come down and it's more a 70-30 ball than a 50-50 ball. So he's got tremendous hands. You saw that at his pro day. He's going to be able to pluck the ball anywhere, uh, any place, anytime on the field. Uh, whether it's above his head, away from his frame across the middle, he can take hits and licks. We saw him used as a big slot at times at USC. He's that guy that you can trust anywhere on the field, and and that's going to be a calling card for Drake London. The Jets like receivers that can run crisp routes, get yak, and be physical and block. And Drake London can do all those things, so he'd be a pretty good fit in the Jet offense, right? Yeah, I, I get why people look at Drake London and think, Okay, if you're a fan of his and you love the film, well, he's a great option at 10. He just makes sense for the Jets. He's a fit in this game. Everything they're saying is, you know, correct. As you just said, you know, he does everything at a nice level, but he doesn't do anything at an elite level that the Jets like. He's not an elite route runner. He hasn't got elite speed. He's not elite after the catch. He's pretty close to an elite blocker. But again, that has much less weight than the other three categories I discussed. So I think... While he ticks the boxes, he isn't developed in any of those areas enough that make you bang the table to take him that high in the draft. This is what I've said about most of the class. If the Jets were a good football team and they were picking in the late teens or the early 20s, Drake London's a guy that I would say, yeah, that's, that's fantastic value. The Jets need that. They can then get rid of Corey Davis next year. They've got their long-term X. It's a perfect fit. I love it. Right now, though, I think they're positioned better 
to look for that game-breaking guy on the other side of the field who can stretch it, who can swap in the slot with Elijah Moore and can take the top off and gives you an elite tool that can help Zach Wilson win straight away in 2022. So that's why I think, yes, he's a good fit, but he's not exactly what Joe Douglas is looking for at this time. So I think it's a little bit of a gray area right there. But yeah, schematically, I think he's a good fit. And if you're looking for an X in an offense, especially the Jets offense, bit of a West Coast scheme, even though Shanahan doesn't like it being called that, I think he does fit the bill pretty well. I think the best way to put it is he's a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And as you said, very good at a lot of things, but not a lead in anything. And what that generally leads to is a guy who will be a good to very good wide receiver in the NFL as long as he stays healthy, but most likely not going to be better than, say, the 20th or 25th best wide receiver in the league, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. There's only 32 teams in the league, so being 20th or 25th best is pretty high caliber. The problem is when you're picking a guy at number 10, you're expecting somebody that's going to be a perennial pro bowler, somebody that's going to be an all-pro a couple of times. As you said, you want a Mike Evans or a Stefan Diggs or somebody like that, and I think that he's more Michael Pittman or Mike Williams, or T. Higgins, very good receivers, but not guys that you would pick at number 10. If the Jets were picking, as you said, in the mid to late 20s, or if this was a top of the second round pick, I think it would be a slam dunk. But at number 10, it just seems like a situation where people are so desperate for the Jets to draft a wide receiver that they say, this guy's very good, he can do a lot of things well. Jets should draft him at number 10 without looking at it more along the lines of, does he provide that value at number 10? Is he going to be that elite receiver that you're expecting at number 10? Can he be somebody like Devontae Smith? Can he be somebody like Jalen Waddell, Jamar Chase, even CeeDee Lamb, who, by the way, was picked 17th in the NFL draft in 2020? Can he be one of those guys? I'm not sure that he can be, and that's my big hesitation here. If the Jets were picking in the 20s or it was the top of the second round and they could get somebody like London there, great, but I feel like he's getting pushed up up here by a lot of people in these theoreticals because a the Jets need a wide receiver and b this isn't a great draft overall so people just say ah screw it take him at 10 but I think there could be better value in other areas and that's my main concern can I just say before I get into it that I'm so disappointed that we're talking about the 2020 class and T Higgins and Michael Pittman and meanwhile Denzel Mims has done nothing for the last two years it just kills me every time but when you look at Pittman, I think you hit the nail. Uh, sorry, Pittman. There you go. When you look at Drake London, I think you hit the nail on the head, Scott. He's the value later on. And because the class is weak, people have pumped it up because of need and because of the Jets' reported interest time and time again in every free agent, draft, pick, you know, trade option, wide receiver throughout the entirety of the offseason. It's just led people to overinflate the wide receivers. And it's easy to say, Oh, well, what's the difference between taking him at 17 and taking him at 10? If you like the player, go and get the player. That's not how good teams operate. You have to have nuance. You have to have flexibility in your draft strategy. I always look at Cleland Farrell. And when I say he's a safe pick, people go, what do you mean? He wasn't supposed to go at four. How's that a safe pick? He's a high floor, low ceiling type prospect that they felt was going to be a good player for a long time. That's not what you want to do in the top 10 of the NFL draft. So for that reason, I think, like you said, Great player and great value later on in the first. But for the Jets, I just don't think he should be an option personally. 
Luke, one last thing I wanted to ask you about as far as weaknesses go is his speed because that appears to be his biggest weakness. He didn't run the 40 at his pro day. Everybody knows he's not a burner. I wouldn't say he's slow, but he's not especially quick. Tell me how that affects his game, and are there any other major weaknesses that we should know about? You know what? I think it just explains why he has so many contested catches, other than the fact that he's great at them. And he's so good overhead and it's so easy to see him with a better matchup in a smaller corner and throw in the football and he'll go up and moss them or he'll make that tough contested catch. It's just difficult that even when he gets separation, so we've talked about how he's quite nuanced uh, and is very effective getting separation early on in routes, especially on things like slants and comeback. He's very good at the break and the stem of the route. It's very easy to lose that separation, though, if you don't have the speed and that intermediate burst to then maintain the separation or the elite prospects like a Jamison Williams even separate further when you start to make that break. Because he doesn't have that, there's going to be a lot more opportunities for contested catches, which is why that has then shone on film more than it maybe would have, even even though that size and length and frame is there. So I think that's kind of the negative. I think you're going to see less separation in the NFL. Look, I think he is pretty slow. I mean, Burks ran a 4.55. Let me just say he looked a lot quicker on film than Drake London to me. If you watch a guy like Traylon Burks against Alabama, I thought you saw more than enough play speed and you saw him streaming away on 97 yard screens and things like that. You know, he has the play speed. I still think Drake London's a bit of a question mark. And I think the injury only adds to that intrigue about how his ankle's going, how his health's going. He looked okay at his pro day, kind of looked like a tight end though. So that's still a concern. I don't think it's going to make him, you know, the 50th pick in the draft suddenly, but I think it's just another reason why you wouldn't put your eggs in the Drake London basket at number 10. Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under, thanks so much for coming on and talking about Drake London's film with me. Really appreciate it. For those that haven't checked out your film review of Drake London, which is up on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel right now, go watch it so you have the video to go with exactly what we've been talking about throughout this show. Also, tons of other videos up there of lots of other prospects, plus some of the Jets' recent free agent signings and a whole bunch more. So go and check that out. Subscribe if you haven't already. And visit our store over at tpublic.com. That's tee Luke, talk a little bit about some of the videos that are up there right now, some that are coming in the upcoming days and weeks, and also talk about what's available over at our store at tpublic.com. Yeah, I think uh, let's start with the tea public. There's some, some awesome stuff up there. Really cool designs. My partner, Alex, she helps with that. Uh, some of the drawing and the design stuff on the iPad. Uh, we've got the Zach Wilson says go long range with the cool image from him against Tennessee. Cartoon form pointing down the field for Corey Davis. The Zach the Ripper range with him with the, the headband on and the eye black. A little bit of blood coming down his cheek. Uh, we've got the bless you, thank you range with Quinnen and JFM. Play like a jet logo merch. You can make them into T-shirts, put them on hats, stickers, phone cases, anything you like. You can do whatever at Public. so make sure you check it out. Support our channel, but also just get some merch that's a little bit different from the mainstream stuff that you can always see on jetshop.com. And then a crossover on the YouTube channel, there's going to be so much more content. We've already talked about Drake London today. You can find reviews up on Garrett Wilson, on Traylon Burks on Jamison Williams that went up earlier in the week. Uh, there's going to be a ton more on the wide receivers too. Alec Pierce is coming. There'll be one on Chris Olave and some of the limitations around his game to the Jets system, looking at some of the second-tier edge rushes. It's going to be a wild 10, 
you know, five, however many days we are now away from the NFL draft. I can't wait. There's going to be so much stuff. So check out the YouTube channel, Play Like a Jet. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel, watch all the videos, and subscribe if you haven't already. Visit our store at tpublic.com. That's tepublic.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.